Welcome to Middle-Aged Wisdom. I'm Nancy, and I'm a dentist. I'm Dave, and I'm an engineer. We're here to share what we've learned about life, business, and leadership. Join us as we try to figure it all out. What it takes to live our best lives. Welcome to episode 27 of the podcast, Middle-Aged Wisdom. This episode today is about things that we really don't want to do, but we have to do them anyways. We previously did an episode on if you really wanted to, you would, and those are things that you like to do, that you really want to do. You want to start a new nutrition plan or an exercise plan. You want to go somewhere. You want to learn a new trade, whatever it is, a class, and you want to do it. It's just that you've procrastinated at doing it. That's not what this episode is about. This is about all the things that we dislike doing, but we know that if we got them done, it would scratch a check off our list and it would get us into a less stressful state. It could be something that creates sort of chronic anxiety even. It could be a big thing, not even just like a checklist thing, but like maybe some big conversation when you want to have with a family member and you just put it off because you're like, ooh. Right, you just know it's going to bring anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Stress leading up to it. But then like the anxiety thinking about it sometimes is almost worse than just actually doing it. Right, so we're gonna talk through some of our problems, you know, because (laughs) that's what we do. And we're also going to talk about some fun things that we overcame and how we took it on, some not so fun things, how we got through it, and things that are on our minds about things we have to accomplish that we have to get done. We're going to start off with a funny story, and it is basically where I had this epiphany of how thinking about something you may or may not want to do can make it worse than actually just doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And this came, if anybody's ever heard of or read about some of those mud obstacles, there's like the- The Spartan race. The Spartan race, Mm -hmm. any sort of mud run. Well, years back, we did the Tough Mudder, okay? And I had a group of friends- that conned me into doing it three years in a row for some reason. I got pregnant, thank God. And I didn't have to do it. I only had to yeah. do it once. Yeah, let's get out of it on the third year because she's just like, yeah, she was pregnant with our daughter like within a month, right? Thank God. Yeah. But anyway, so the it's an obstacle course. It's like 20 miles long. Nothing on there is really probably going to hurt you, but it's enough to make you feel fear and anxiety. So when you get up to an obstacle, you might sit there looking at what you're supposed to do and pause mm-hmm. and hesitate and look at it and ponder boy, this, this might kind of suck to, right. to do. And so they have things that like electrically shock you, like with little wires you got to run through. And you might sit there thinking, oh, maybe there's a way through I can run and not get shocked. There's not. There's certain things you can bypass if you if you really wanted to get out of it. And there's certain things that you couldn't, that you couldn't get around. And one I remember in particular, it was an obstacle called the Arctic Enema. That's what it was called. Who the heck names these things? <laughs> And so basically you go and you stand up on the edge of this big vat of ice. And I think this thing must have been about, I don't know. It's a trash bin. Imagine a commercial trash bin outside of your office, the commercial trash bin that the the trash truck comes and picks up the monster thing. Yes, it's like 20, it's like 20, 30 feet long, something like that. So they have the whole thing filled with ice. And then the middle, they have like, they have this baffle. So you can't just like 
wade through it. At one point in the middle, they make you go underwater, underneath something, and up the other side. Right. And I remember just standing at the edge of this thing, looking at it, and hes- hesitation in that moment actually made it worse because as you stood there looking, they had a next uh, a front end loader bringing more ice to just dump in there. So you better get in there. So you better just get in there and do it. Right. So Nance and and I and then my my childhood best friend Mark, we all get up there and we just go. And by this point, I had learned not to hesitate at these things, just to go and do them. So I just avoid the anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I get up to the edge and I just <laughs> jump in and I just go. And I've never done one of those polar plunges, but this was the closest I'd ever come. Right. And the shot of adrenaline you get from jumping in that thing is like nothing I've ever experienced. So I just get to the other end and I pop out like I was shot out of a cannon. Screams like a small child. <laughs> and then left me in the bin on the other side. And I was too short to lift myself up and out of the bin myself. So I struggled staying in the ice bin. Oh, uh, maybe 10 seconds more than I had to. <laughs> and uh, luckily, I think his friend came to my rescue, but my husband did not. <laughs> and to this day, she still brings this yes. up because it instilled in her a fear that somehow this situation would apply to some other <laughs> facet of life where exactly. I'm going to leave her behind. But getting back to the main gist <laughs> is that sometimes when you hesitate, you know that you are going to have to do this or else either a truck is going to have to come get you or something embarrassing is going to have to happen if you don't follow through. And so you make it through, you follow through and you're just fine and you feel a sense of accomplishment after you're done. Yeah, exactly. And and really, yeah. And the point too is by the third time I'd done a Tough Mudder, when I got to an obstacle like that, obstacle, I just jumped. I just went. Right. Yeah. I would imagine it would be the same if you, I've never done this. Have you ever done skydiving before? I have not. I would imagine it's something like that as well for those people that have done that before, that you know you're up there. You just paid a ton of money to do it. You're up in the plane. You're not going to have the plane land and not do it, like you have to do it. It's just one of those things, you gotta jump in and go do it. And probably the anxiety on the way up there is probably worse than what you feel when you actually jump, because then eventually when you jump, and especially when the parachute is deployed, it's probably really fun. Right. Yeah. Okay, the next things are more serious things. (laughs) So the other thing that I was thinking about when we thought of the topic was conversations at work. These are so tough. There is nothing about a tough conversation with an employee that makes it easier or fun. It just isn't. And it's in our best interest as employers to keep the employee and to make it work and to figure everything out. But having to reprimand someone on anything is never, ever fun. Sort of feels like getting ready to jump out of a plane. You're like, don't make me do it. I don't want to do it. Right. I don't want to do it. No one wants to hurt anyone's feelings. Oftentimes there's tears. No one wants to make anybody cry. And I think anyone out there that's listening to this that has employees or has, if you own a business, if you have people that work for you or coworkers that you might lead or whatever it is, it's just not a good feeling. But the f- truth of the matter is, is the more you prolong it, the more it builds up in your body, your anxiety, it affects your stress levels. You just got to get it out. And as soon as you get it out, it makes it so much better. Yeah. You just got to do it. I think actually, as I was saying that, I was thinking about the other thought I had was a patient. So think about um, a, a customer that is unhappy. For us, it's a patient that's unhappy. In those situations, again, you know the person's going to be ticked off when you talk to them. You know that they asked you to call them for a reason. And you know it's probably going to be something about someone that you feel fondly about. 
it's going to be about one of your employees or someone that works with you or something that happened during the appointment and you have to call the person. Ugh, it's the worst feeling. You build up anxiety. I was doing mine at the end of the day because I need to feel a sense of calm. I don't want people coming and grabbing me to go into another room or to go do something or to ask me a question. I need silence and calm. And then I call the person. And honestly, most of the time I've thought about the whole day and you kind of work yourself up over it. And then you call and the person is totally fine. You know, they talk to you like a normal human being. I rarely get yelled at, you know, where someone's actually yelling at me. Luckily, they appreciate the business enough that they want to say, hey, this happened. And I don't want to write it on the internet. I want to tell you, which I'm always so grateful for. I, I don't want anything bad on the internet either. I tell me what's wrong so I can fix it. And even from a standpoint of a customer that's listening to this or anything like that, always go to the business owner. It's the best thing you can do is just bring it to their attention and don't air the dirty laundry on the internet. Yeah. So you would have anxiety built up over the basically anticipated potential confrontation, right. right? And anxiety, the word anxiety I was reading recently, anxiety is about something in the future. Mm-hmm. And the thing that about anxiety, right? And the, ang- the thing about anxiety is those things you're worried about may or may not happen, <laughs> right? And case in point, I, I have anxiety leading up to this moment of this person being upset with me or us or whoever it is, and oftentimes it usually isn't. They just want to talk about what happened and say, "Hey, is this normal? Is this weird? Is this is this how it's supposed to go?" And most of the time we figure it out, they come back, they're happy, and they're longtime patients, and it's great. We work it out. So I have a similar thing. It doesn't relate to people, but actually it relates to some of my work. So it's really procrastinating about parts of my job that I just don't feel like doing. And Mm -hmm. for me, it's reviewing a set of plans for land development project. So part of my job is looking at new neighborhoods that are going to get built and how are they going to handle drainage and streams and flood control and things like that. And the thing of it is developers tend to be kind of cheap when they hire engineers. So when a developer's engineers submit plans for me to review, it happens sometimes that they're pretty poor. It's pretty poor craftsmanship. Like the engineering work is just, it's not fun to look at. It's like a pile. It's like hundreds of pages long PDF and I need to dive in there and review it. And I'll put them off and I'll put them off and I get deadlines for when I'm supposed to review them by and I often push it towards the last day because I, it just, I'll actually feel mental pain sometimes from looking at these plan sets. That's human nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but most of the time, but here's the thing though, most of the time it's my anticipation of mental pain that actually doesn't come to pass because more often than not, it's something that takes me five or 10 minutes to look at because it's actually not as big of a thing to look at as I thought. Right. Some of them take me hours and I don't really know until I open it up. But sometimes if I just see the name of the development, I'm like, oh man, I can't do it. <laughs> I just, I don't want to, I know I have to, I don't want to, I'm going to put it off until the last day possible. But in the end, I know I'm still going to have to do it because I'm accountable and I have a job to do. And the putting it off and looking at it on my calendar over and over creates this little bit of anxiety that I'd be probably be better off if I just got it out of the way. Right. And it doesn't take very long. It's kind of almost like our previous episode on compound effect, where we are talking about little bits of things that you don't really want to do. And you just do little bits at a time to create the end, to create, to finish it. Yeah. The build over time. 
And I think similarly, maybe if I just took the five minutes to get in and at least look at something, even though when I look at the cover sheet and the name, I'm like, oh, not this one again. Because right. they come in multiple times, the same development. Sure. I think all the stories we're saying today are all things that you just have to nip it in the bud. You just have to get at it right away and don't prolong it because it just gets worse. One of the things that we are talking about recently was estate planning. It's so, oh my gosh, it's so boring to talk about. It's nothing anyone wants to do. No one wants to imagine their spouse deceased. No one wants to imagine their spouse with another spouse. (laughs) You have to think about these questions, unfortunately. Right. And creating a will is one of those things that our accountant had and our financial planner had kind of forced us to do. They kept saying it year after year after year. And finally, we just said, we have to do this. You know, it's to the point where we're in our 40s. We have a child. We want certain things for her. We're very particular about kind of our futures that we have planned. I think we just need to do this. So we did it. And yes, it was grueling. I mean, it's <laughs> we left. And I'm kind of glad that Dave and I drove in different cars because you kind of, you get in an argument. Like you get, we got in an argument. Well, to, well, it triggers emotion because you're now projecting yourself into that situation on either side of it. Right. And it's going to bring up something kind of, you know, maybe not so great. Right. And so I remember sitting there and saying, well, I, I, I don't want your future wife to live in my house and to, <laughs> to take my money and like, no. I'm giving it to my siblings. No, you know, and we get in this argument and then the attorney said, well, well, you guys are married. (laughs) And and so thank goodness she was there to kind of walk us through. And it it was tough. It was a tough day. Yeah, because there's all I mean, there's hundred different ways you could do estate planning to right. where, you know, if you are the one that passes away, what happens with your assets, right? right? You know, you want them to all go to your spouse or, but then, yeah, you get into those questions like, well, do you have anything weird about if you're, you're now deceased and your spouse eventually remarries? Do you want anything about controlling for that? Right. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I want to control everything from my <laughs> grave. I will control it. <laughs> and so anyways, we left that day. We we're kind of quiet. We're like, hey, love you. Bye. And then I went in my car. Dave went in his. And then we had some time to digest it. And then we got home and we talked about it. But it's one of those things that no one, it's not fun. Yeah, It's not fun to do. But everybody that has some sort of assets, a child, you're married, you have a house. I mean, you really should do it. Yeah. Well, and it was nice to decompress from it. And it's not something we've really talked much about since because it's just something that's now done. Now it's done. It's good. And we it's don't filed have, away. We don't have to do it again. Right. So that's good. The other thing we talk about is just paperwork and taxes and all those things, right? I used to be one of those where our accountant would send a list of things to do. And he'd say, I need your addresses of all your current employees. I need your, who is working for you currently. I need the pay rate of so-and-so. Where did this check go? Who is this contractor that you guys used? What was that for? Did you have any expenses over this dollar amount? And have kind of a slew of questions. And yes, I was the person that I would put that in the bottom of my inbox. And I would wait for another 100 emails to pile on top of it until I completely forgot about it. And then wait for the second email to come because now it becomes more urgent when he sends the second email. Now it's in fluorescent highlight. It marks deadline and he gives me the deadline. (laughs) So 
And I'm sure he's listening to this chuckling as he's thinking, yes, this is how Nancy works um, or used to work. Because now I think that I am much more on top of it because I look at the inbox and I just want to be able to delete the email. I want to be able to get it out of my inbox because you know that I we talk about minimalistic styles a lot and that includes my email inbox. And so I like to delete it. I like to get those things out of there so I don't have to look at them or think about them anymore. And so I do tackle them right away. And I think our accountant would be very happy and proud about that. And you feel less stress and less guilt because it's done. Because already. I just don't have to think about it anymore, yeah. you know, because then there's this thing and, and you know how life goes whenever you have one list of things come up, it was kind of like our projects at work lately. You come up with one project and you're like, okay, I'm going to work on this. This is probably going to take me maybe a couple of weeks to finish. And then sure enough, another project comes in and then another project comes in and now you have three and nothing has been completed or done because now you've procrastinated and waited. So the best thing to do is I had those three kind of on my plate, tackle one completely, go on to the next one, tackle it completely, go on to the next one, tackle it completely. Then you're just done. You don't have to think about it anymore. So another way this sort of buildup of anxiety of, over something you know you need to do eventually can come into play is with a difficult conversation with a loved one, okay? We have a loved one who has substance abuse problems. And it's one of those things where nobody really brings it up or wants to talk about it. And it doesn't, it isn't just going away on its own. Right. And it's so difficult. Right. And it's so difficult. And even like getting ready to have the conversation with this person, you start feeling this pang of anxiety. And the conversation ends up being like, five or 10 minutes long, right? Right. You're not talking about like an hour long inquisition because if, if you're dealing with somebody who has those sorts of problems, they're not going to respond well to an inquisition anyway. Right. Right. So I had, you know, you have this goal of, I want to tell this person, I see what's going on. I'm concerned. I love you. I want you to get this figured out. What can I do to help? Right. And he, but even just that, you, you put it off because you're just like, oh gosh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. But what's the worst? What's the worst thing that can happen? They stare at you and don't say anything. I think which... it's, I think it's the worry about the emotion. Like, am I going to lose control of my emotions? Are they right? You know. But I think that as adults, like we can control how we respond to something. So I don't think you wouldn't burst out into tears or get angry. Would you? I don't think you would. No, no, no. No, but it's just that you have to kind of consider what's the worst thing that can happen. In my mind, especially with substance abuse topics, I always think, what if something awful happened and we never said anything? Yeah. You know, the guilt that we would feel about not having any type of intervention or not having that person know that we were available to them or that we were there for support or whatever it was, that I think would really ride on us a lot. Um, Or that we can help find help or whatever it is. In my mind, I feel like we have to say something in order to not only make our souls kind of feel clean, but also to help that person and just know that we're here. Yeah, that's right. And not being any sort of expert in this by any means, but a couple of things I would offer as suggestions if you have a similar situation is you can't shame the person. That's not going to get you anywhere. Nobody's ever going to quit any sort of addiction just because somebody told them to or somebody shamed them into it. They right. have to they have to decide that for themselves. But my whole goal with the conversation was to express to this person, 
how concerned I was. So just talking about my own feelings, Mm -hmm. that I worry about them, that I'm concerned, that I see what's going on, Mm -hmm. and and not go anywhere near the idea of shaming, but just sort of express how I feel. And you think about it. Right. And then I think about it and I worry about it. Because I would imagine from the person that is experiencing the substance abuse, that they may feel no one ever says anything. No one really cares. No one Mm. notices. Right. What, I'm not bothering anybody. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think it's important, like Dave was saying, to just express the feeling yeah, behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you got to be careful about how you go about that. But again, one of those things where the anxiety of putting it off and having it be this thing that's in the back of your brain, it's like a chronic source of anxiety that's just kind of there all the time. You just need to do it. Right. You just got to do it. Right. I guess that goes for conversations too about someone that hurt your feelings or someone that might have done something to wrong you or whatever it is. In our office even, we had this, we just talked about this maybe a week or two ago about emotional intelligence and that we have to have open communication in order to express ourselves because if we hold it in, you can create angst or a hostile work environment or just somewhere that no one wants to show up to. And who wants that for somewhere that you go every single day? So in our particular office, we try to make it open communication and it's hard, right? It's hard. We have 14 women and it's hard to keep emotions at bay. And so we try to be leaders in that and saying, okay, so if someone comes to you and talks to you about something, it's important to listen and know that it's an issue and try to solve it together and not blame the person or think that they're not doing their job or think that they're not doing it right or whatever it is that we have to give them the benefit of the doubt, but we need to have those conversations. And yeah, they stink, they're hard, they're tough, but it also creates a very unified team by doing that. Yeah, and it, one thing I'm kind of noticing about some of the themes of what we're talking about is a lot of it has to do with having courage. Right. You know, not about like paperwork or things you procrastinate about work or things like that, but some of these more difficult things, it really comes down to having the guts to just do it. Right. One of the last things uh, I was thinking about was, and this isn't something obviously I have to do, but it's something I enjoy doing with my family, is going on vacation and flying in an airplane. I came up with this. I I used to love flying. I used to want to be a pilot. That's hilarious. <laughs> that, is, that is really funny. When I was a kid, after every trip we took, my dad would ask the pilot if I can come up to the cockpit. And that was the times before we had all the tragedy. And kids were able to go up and just sit in the pilot seat and look out the window. And it was very, very cool. And that's something I always wanted to do. But obviously, uh, something came about. My sister and I took a trip together. And my sister, I don't know if she went into like a panic attack or what happened, but she started naming all these things that can go wrong. (laughs) And ever since that day, that flight, I've never been the same. It's been... It's all your sister's fault. (laughs) I need to blame somebody, right? right. No, but I don't know what happened, but something in my brain kind of just clicked and it it just wasn't a good thing. But I will fly all the time because I love to travel. I love to see the world. We love to go on vacations. I love spending time with my family away from home and I won't stop doing it. How long do you sit there and just stew about going on a flight before the actual flight? Sometimes weeks. Weeks. 
And what are you what are you checking like the week before? Turbulence forecast. The turbulence forecast. <laughs> She's like, oh my gosh, I gotta look at the turbulence forecast. And then if we're driving to the airport and the, you know the car starts to sway a little bit, I'll think, oh no, it's high winds. It's red, Dave. There are red triangles everywhere. <laughs> that just means that there's going to be a lot of turbulence and and everything. And then on days leading up to it, I'll look for red, and then I'll say, oh, there wasn't any tragedies in the air today. I, I think everybody survived. And <laughs> it's then, amazing. And then he was they like, kinda, no kidding, Nance, you're kidding. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, they kind of have this flying thing figured out. <laughs> all th- all those thousands of flights, everyone's okay. And I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't believe it, right? Yeah. The wind's crazy. And uh, and so anyway, so I w- that's something I won't not do just because um, I want to see the world. But at the same time, you the typical flight we might go on is a couple hours. Mm-hmm. And how many days and weeks. I mean, you spend 10 times that many hours stressing about something you know right. you're going to do anyway. Right, right. It's just better if I just take my mind off of it. I usually treat myself to, I always love my magazine, my $8 success magazine. <laughs> she, always, so she always gets like the shiniest, thickest, like most expensive magazine. <laughs> I really treat yeah. myself. Uh, I know I can read a cover to cover in two hours. Yeah, I'm silly like that. But it's just one of those things that I won't stop doing, but I'm, I'm going to keep living my life. That's right. That's good. I hope so, Nancy, for <laughs> our sake. That's right. good. Yeah. In summary, I hope you got some motivation of... I'm just going to tackle these things. We want you to go out and just check them off your list, get them done, decrease the stress, decrease the anxiety, just go for it and don't think twice about it. And just do it. Mm-hmm.